0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode two of What Did Paul Mean with our co-host Tyler Stringer. We are so excited for you to join us today. Today, Tyler will be diving in to What Did Paul Mean When He Wrote 1 Corinthians. This is an episode that you don't want to miss. If you're joining us, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you're at. Don't forget to drop a review, and if you're enjoying the content, don't forget to leave us anything of future episodes that you want to hear. Thanks for joining us today, and let's dive right in to this new episode of What Did Paul Mean? Welcome back to... What did Paul mean? I am your host Tyler Stringer, co-host of the great podcast Faithful to the Walk, hosted by my great friend Randy Leonard um, and Blake Dykes, and myself. I'm so excited that you've uh, you're back for episode two. Today we'll be diving deep into First Corinthians, Paul's uh, one of his best letters. In fact, I believe it's his best letter. So today we're going to dive deep into that. If you joined us last week, we covered a couple of topics about who Paul was. He was a zealot, a Jew, a a Pharisee, come from a town named Tarsus, a small town. And when I mean small town, I don't want you to think of small country town like we think of today, but it was smaller than towns like Corinth and Antioch that we read about. Um, Corinth held about a million people. Tarsus held about half of that, a little less than half of that. So that's where Paul is from. He was a writer, he was a smart man, and today we're going to get a taste of how smart he truly was, and how intellectual and, and knowledgeable of the word Paul was in Corinthians. Thank you for joining us again as we dive deep into episode two. So, 1 Corinthians is a book that I've studied um, for quite a while now. I took a book study class with one professor here at Urshan College named Peter Wright, and he did a, a study on 1 Corinthians with us a little over a year ago now. And it drew my interest on 1 Corinthians, the, the time period, the setting, where it was, how it was, and how Paul reacted to that city as a minister. Um, as we get started, I, I want you to have a firm foundation on what Corinth was and, and how it was. Corinth was a, a big city similar to what we would claim like a Los Angeles or New York today. Now, there wasn't as many people in Corinth as there is in those bigger cities that I mentioned today. However, the influence that Corinth had was extreme. Today, we like to either joke or be very serious when we say Hollywood has an impact on our culture and it does and at this time Corinth had a big impact on what was going on. Corinth is located um, close to a port Um, so trade by sea was very easy and if you pull it up on a map you'll be able to see where it is and um, so very very rich city and when Greek philosophers started going from city to city by boat Corinth was one of those cities that they like to flood to and obviously it's because people were there it was rich so they could sell their teachings and their philosophies to people on the street or to those that wanted to listen and like today humans back then were it had itching ears and they wanted to hear something that would make them feel good and these Greek philosophers were very good at that um, that is what we call Hellenism, which is the spread of Greek culture, Greek teachings, philosophies, different things of that nature. So as we dive deep, remember that while Paul is writing to this to this church in this great city. A very tall task is at hand for the apostle. He, um, he may not be used to this scene. Um, Corinthians is actually one of his later works written probably mid-50s, no later than early 60s uh, A.D., so in the first century. So Paul, you know, grew up in Jerusalem learning to be a Pharisee. And so when he goes to Corinth, it's much different than what Jerusalem was like. Jerusalem was Jewish, so Jewish practices, and like we talked about religion, which also translated to politics, were prevalent in time. But in Corinth, that's, no, that's not the case. There is a lot of Greek culture that's pushed in Corinth, so we see a lot of idolatry. We see these philosophies that take away Jesus, and they take away that he was the Messiah. They take away from the, the gospel. And so Paul has to deal with that. Um, later, when we start doing other books, studying books, you'll notice a pattern Paul usually has to combat false prophets in the church or false doctrines in the church. He calls them, um, you know, teachers that have gone astray of certain things of that nature. And so Paul, as he's writing to the Corinthians, to the church in Corinth, he tackles three um, very important topics. And typically when Paul writes topics, it's because there is a problem going on. Regarding those topics. So, for example, in Corinthians, Paul addresses racism in the church, um, the Lord's Supper or communion, the misuse of it, and I'll get to that in a little bit, and then human wisdom flooding the church. And today, Paul would write, if he was writing books of the Bible, he would write according to which church was having which problems. Paul was never uh, in the game of tearing down anyone. He wanted to edify the body, but sometimes as pastor, he had to correct the body before he could edify it. And so Paul, starting the church in Corinth, as we see in Acts 18, he had to pastor the church as well. And so that's what he does um, today uh, as we read Corinthians. So remember, Corinth was a very famous city. It was a worldwide commerce and... It was so big and so popular and had so many problems. Paul had to write two letters to the church in Corinth. So, as I mentioned, there's three early, three early problems that were happening in this church. And as we study Paul and as we read about him, if he started this work in Acts 18 and he's writing this letter between mid-50s and late, early 60s, then that means the church pr- hasn't really been around longer than 10 years um, and so, that this is only 20 years removed from the crucifixion. So, Jesus hasn't been dead uh, and resurrected very long. 20 years is nothing regarding the time frame of history. And typically, doctrines do not change within 20 years like this. But the Corinthian church started having issues, and one being racism. Now, um, in 1 Corinthians 1, we sometimes read over verses very quickly, you know, try to get our daily devotion in as fast as we can so we can move on. And I've I've been in that boat before, so I understand. But if sometimes we just not, if we don't read as much, but we we take in what we read, we'll get to see these things that the apostles and the disciples and other writers actually meant. So if you're listening, um, I encourage you to have a Bible next to you after as I go through this, um, this series, the rest of this series. So, If you turn to 1 Corinthians 1, and if you read it um, very quickly, Paul writes this in verse 12 of chapter 1. He says, Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Then in in verse 13 of chapter 1, he says, "Is Christ divided, was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now, as we read this, normally we would just imagine... That Paul is saying that the Corinthians were picking one preacher over the other and saying that the other one was better. And to a certain degree, and on a surface level, that's actually what they were doing. But if we dive deeper into this, Paul is addressing racism. Um, If you notice, Paul uses Peter's Jewish name, Cephas. And why did he do that? Paul knew Peter personally, and Paul knew that Jesus called him Simon Peter. And so why would Paul, in this scenario, call him Cephas? Well, when he says uh, that, that the Corinthians are saying that I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, he's saying that there's some picking himself, Paul, there's some picking Apollos, and there's some picking Cephas. Um, he's saying that those that say I am of Paul have a Roman uh, genealogy, or um, they side with the Romans. And when Paul says that some Corinthians are saying that they are of Apollos, they are a Greek. And then when he uses Cephas, Peter's Jewish name, um, obviously he's talking about a Jew. And so not only is he just giving ministers names here, he's saying that the Romans, the Greeks, and the Jews are all against each other right now in the church. And so he says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Now, I like his humility here by saying, by asking, was was I, was I, Paul, crucified for you? Because the obvious answer is no. Um, they knew that it was Jesus and Christ's body cannot divide, for we believe that there is one God, and that means we believe that there is one body of Christ. And so, the next thing he says is, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now, this is very crucial, especially as when Pentecostals. Um, we believe that the apostles' doctrine is based off Acts 2.38. And that's when Peter stands up and proclaims that you must be baptized in the name of Jesus. And here, Paul uses his name to illustrate that it wasn't his name that they baptized in. In fact, it was Jesus' name. And so Paul is using an apost. apost- an apostolic doctrine here as he's writing to the Corinthians. And so that's our first um, topic that Paul has to address. And he, he does it sort of throughout the book. But we see very quickly how Paul uses words and languages that we read right over, but his meaning is a little bit deeper than just the surface level. And I mentioned at the beginning that human wisdom um, was flooding the church. And I want to be very... Careful with um, how uh, I approach this, just like I believe most um, scholars do. Human intellect and a God given ability of just being having an edge regarding uh, scholarship isn't it, is it wrong. In fact, I believe that it's God's will for us to study, and I believe it's God's will for us to learn to be knowledgeable. So I don't want you to, under, to think that I'm saying that being smart is, is a sin. However, if we start believing in human wisdom rather than the mind of Christ or godly wisdom, very soon we'll believe our own ideas rather than God's ideas. And so Paul addresses that here. Um, as we read Jesus, uh, his story, the death on the cross was the least respectful way to die. No one looked up to that. Nobody, no one said, um, you know, the one way I want to die is by the cross. No one um, thought that that was a good thing. No one wanted that. In fact, it was for the lowly. It was for those that were, that had either done something really bad or for the, the lower class. And so, as I mentioned, Greek philosophy's flooding the gates of Corinth. Um, Philosophers could not see past the idea that a Messiah, a king, a ruler died by a cross. They couldn't see past that. They couldn't see how that was possible if he claimed, or if he was claimed as a Messiah, how he could die by a cross. But Paul proclaims that it's power, and that at Christ, at Jesus' weakness, at his weakest moment, he gave. That's Him giving us strength. And that at the weakest moment, Christ is stronger than man at its strongest. And so in verse 18 of chapter 1, Paul says, For the message of the cross, talking about the crucifixion, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So to the church, to the ones he's writing to, to Christians, the cross is what gives us strength. The cross is what gives us salvation. The cross is what gives us healing. And so that's why our message, the gospel, is simply that Jesus Christ came, He died on the cross, He was resurrected, and then He ascended to heaven, and He poured out His Spirit among all flesh. That is the gospel. And so these philosophers were saying that there's no way that this is possible and not only did it flood the gates of Corinth, but it started creeping into the pews of the church in Corinth. Now, when we when we talk about the church in Corinth, it's not just one physical building. There were multiple churches in Corinth that Paul had started. Now, he started the, the big one, and then they kind of spread out into what we would claim as daughter works today. And so it was very typical for a Greek philosopher that, had intentions of selling his philosophies and his thoughts to sneak into these churches and try to preach or teach um, their belief system. And so Paul addresses this in verse 20 of chapter 1. He says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Now when Paul says, where is the wise? He's talking about Greek philosophers, those that use intellect um, for their gain. And then when he says, where is the scribe? He's talking about the Pharisees. for Jews read from scribes. Um, And then he says, where is the disputer of the age? And now this is a very interesting um, word usage here. Um, A disputer of this age is simply one who preaches Greek philosophy. So where is the wise and where is the the disputer of this age kind of go hand in hand. Um, They dispute or they debate um, Christianity with Greek philosophy and so then, then Paul writes for since, the, for since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe and Paul is saying that the world through wisdom did not know God that means the world using human wisdom using the human mind did not know God they couldn't comprehend God but he says that God was happy. He found it uh, pleasing. He was pleased that, that of the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And so what Paul is saying is that um, God shows favor to those who will hum- humble themselves to know that it's God... That gives us strength and knowledge and wisdom, not ourselves. And so then Paul, as we read along, in verse 22 of chapter 1, he says, "Um, For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And Paul is proclaiming that the Jews request a sign. They request um, a sign of the Messiah coming, because they believe that it would be a great warlord or, or a great ruler and Paul wants to believe that as he was a Pharisee. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. Wisdom has now become Greek the Greek philosopher's God. It was their um it's what they worshiped. It's what they wanted. But Paul says that we preach Christ crucified. And he's proclaiming this, saying that the Greeks find their power in human philosophy, the Jews find their power in signs over and over and over. Um, but we preach Christ crucified. And then he says, To the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Greeks, foolishness. So Paul sits here, he writes, he proclaims that the Jews, the Greeks, they'll never understand, but we have the knowledge of God. Um, we know that it is the cross that gives us strength. So later, in Corinthians, um, Paul talks about um, the Lord's Supper. He talks about this in a sense that there were many um, going against the initial um, the initial uh, plan for the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper and Communion in this day was much different than how we do it today. Um, back then, they would um, actually bring meals together. And eat and talk about the good things of God. Um, today, when we think of communion, we think of a small cup and one loaf or one little piece of bread. And I think that that's okay. I don't think it's not biblical. However, in this day and, and in the, Apostle, the Apostles' Day, communion was very much a meal, it was a celebration. Um, in fact, my home church does what we call potluck dinners, where usually on a Saturday night, we would uh, every family would bring their own meal, uh, and then we would eat together and just fellowship. Sometimes Sunday after church, and so I actually associate that with being closer to the Lord's Supper or Communion than how the normal church takes one lo- one piece of bread and a small cup of grape juice. And so, the problem that Paul had to address was that the rich in the church were bringing. Um, we were we're not bringing anything, and the poor in the church would bring food, so they would celebrate, but what would end up happening is that the poor would not eat anything, and the rich would eat it all. And so at this time, they did drink wine, um, and it, it was possible to become intoxicated with the wine that they drank. And so, what was happening were, was the rich in the church took advantage of the Lord's Supper and was actually getting drunk on the wine provided for them to partake in the Lord's Supper. And so, Paul has to address that. And so, we read that um, in 1 Corinthians um, in, in chapter 11. And so, this is, this is just a couple examples on what Paul had to address. In the Corinthian church, um, and so as we wrap up today, I hope that you learn something. I hope that God can use my words and my voice and my knowledge to help someone in their study as they study the Word of God. And so this week, uh, as we release this podcast, this episode, I challenge you to to read First Corinthians again with a new mindset, um, that Paul is tackling racism, he's tackling problems with human philosophy, and he's tackling problems with uh, the the misuse of the Lord's Supper. I promise it'll change your life, and I hope by my words, my number one goal is that whoever listens to this will search after Christ more and more and, and will challenge themselves to read the Bible. I just want to say thank you for joining us um, for this second episode of this mini series called "What Did Paul Mean." I hope this episode blessed you, and I can't wait um, for next week as we talk about First um, and Second Timothy and dive deep into what Paul was writing to a young minister, a friend, and a mentee of Paul, a student of Paul. Um, and so I'm very excited. Thank you for joining us. And I hope that my words will bless you throughout this week.